Hello, and welcome to Still Watching Succession. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Sonia Soraya. Uh, and we're here to talk today to talk about episode three of season three of Succession, um, The Disruption. And I, indeed, there is quite a bit of disruption in this episode. Um, but before we get into that, we want to do a little housekeeping as it pertains to you, our listeners. Um, as you may have heard us say, uh, say in previous episodes, you can always email us at stillwatchingpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com with any theories or comments or concerns even um, and then we have a new feature that we use on our sister podcast, Little Gold Men, called Subtext, which is a way from your phone, you can essentially send Sonia and me text messages asking us the same things that, that you would email us about, the same concerns, etc. So to sign up for that, you can go to joinsubtext.com slash stillwatching, or you can just text the number 213 Six seven one seven, and that's two one three six five two six seven one seven. So we hope that you reach out as this season goes. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about, and part of that conversation is with you, the listeners. Well, please text me. That's all I'm saying. I, nobody texts me. I need more texts. Blow up my phone. Yes, yes. We want our phones to be as busy as any of the scrambling Roy children's are. <laughs> um. So yeah, this episode, I really really liked uh I, I think it's pretty cool that it was directed by kathy yan uh who did um the most recent uh well not i guess because there was suicide squad but uh harley quinn standalone movie oh. um which i thought was fun i liked that uh she also has an uh, an indie a sundance indie from years ago uh called dead pigs i believe um so yeah it, it moved really well for me uh what did you think sonia Oh, I, I really liked it, too. It was so um so action-packed, uh, just like a lot of high drama, a lot of power reversals. Um, Z-Way and Dasha from Red Scare are both in this episode. <laughs> There's just so much going on. Um, I actually sort of, I know like what we typically do is go through the characters and we will do that, but I kind of wanted to start with like, we had a time jump finally it sort of seems like it's been like about a week um kind of hard to say but people are kind of like everyone's back in their corners a little bit um and uh i think the the action really sort of climbs up from everyone's kind of back in their corners to this town hall that's in the middle of the episode and then the rest of the episode is kind of just dealing with the fallout of the town hall um and I really liked that. I really liked how many sort of events were sort of uh, pulling the characters together in this episode. Um, I really, I really enjoyed just how much happened. A lot happened. I mean, to the extent that I was watching the episode and I was like, well, this must be wrapping up. And I looked at the, like the, the, the time bar on the screening thing and it said there was 25 minutes left. And I was like, this feels like it's already been so much episode, but hey, I'm not complaining. Um, and yeah. I think that what, what this, what this episode really did for me kind of structurally, was obviously the f the the premiere episode was like continuing what happened from the season finale of last season and then season this episode two is kind of still attending to that and i feel like this episode is where season three kind of really started its new storylines does that make sense yeah for sure it felt like we were kind of like dealing with the denouement and then now it's like oh what's everyone cooking this season what can we actually do with these characters um, right, exactly. And we we start off, um, I think, like a another useful place to so just like to sort of remember, like now Jerry is the CEO, and uh, there's like this tension going on at Waystar Royco, where like Jerry's in charge, but is she in charge? 
And then meanwhile, there's Kendall, who's made this pitch to his siblings, but they are not with him. So let's kind of pick up with Kendall because he's where the episode starts. Um, he, I, I would, I, I feel like it's like it's not totally fair to the episode because all, so much stuff happens. But I think let's start with Kendall and kind of walk with him through the episode because then I think uh, we can like see how everyone else links together as we go. Um, and I actually really love that Kendall starts the episode doing press, you know, doing an interview. <laughs> yeah. um, it, I, I mean, it's so fun. Like to me, there were a couple of things in this sh- uh, in this episode that were like, you know, a little bit a little bit of a meta commentary, like the succession behind the scenes talking to all of us out here, you know, as we receive the show. So there's um, in this case, it's Kendall talking to a journalist and he's going on and on and on about how great his life is. Um and like his fennel salad and then like agonizing over how she's going to write about the fennel salad. And she's like, are you afraid of how like people perceive you? And he's like, yeah, no, no, not at all. <laughs> Just like a really charged moment. <laughs> a, a, a really charged moment. And, and I think, you know, we get so much of this Kendall 3, 4.0 in this episode, like just seeing how kind of pathetic he is, you know? And I think that there's something really amusing about the heir to a media fortune thinking he has that same sway over a different publication you know <laughs> that has nothing to do with his family's business and the reporter and then later you know the tv producers are like um no <laughs> like are you sure you want to do this and say that because like i'm gonna like the, i can offer you no cover you know right um and i think that he doesn't seem to realize it in this initial you know interview scene um, but he, he probably should, you know, he has that tiny moment of self-doubt where he's like, no, no, I, I don't, I don't care what, what people think about me. But then he kind of just keeps barreling through and being, you know, being snazzy. Um, and I think that the fun of this episode, the tragic fun is watching that sort of snappy, uh, energy fade to almost nothing. Yeah. It goes, it like, it's like a whole like roller coaster with it. Um, so the, the, when when he's asked about his siblings and how he feels about them, he makes this comment about being in a good headspace now, um, which is only notable because then you see that Roman can't let it go throughout the episode. He keeps asking everyone at Waystar Rocco about their headspace. So it's funny, like Kendall's so concerned about his presentation in the press, but really all that matters is how his family perceives him. And obviously his family is perceiving him. Like they've all read the article when you, when you see them um, as soon as you see them in the next scene. Um, But then of course, uh, later, later that evening, um, Kendall's uh, in this limousine on the way to this uh, journalism benefit. Um, And again, this obsession with what people think of him, um, they decide to play a game called good tweet, bad tweet. That's just the game uh, that I play on Twitter every day. Um, That's just Twitter. It's just Twitter. Um, But it's, uh, it's, and this is where Dasha from Red Scare is, is, uh, is looking at the tweets, I think, uh, as uh, one of, uh, one of the publicists that's working with him. And um, Greg is in the car, cousin Greg is in the car too. Um, And it's so uh it's so embarrassing i mean it's pathetic to use your word just like what they you know they're he's so desperate for people to say something about him or to him to like weigh in on him then like there's like one tweet that like sort of makes them like all feel a little sad and then kendall starts the chant of that one sucked (laughs) like (laughs) just i don't know just really pathetic stuff (laughs) yeah it's it's 
I think the way that it's written and and certainly the way that Jeremy Strong plays it, this kind of swagger that has a tinge or more than a tinge of mania to it, um, and just this continual thing of he Kendall really thinks he's cool or is desperately trying to be cool. And, you know, I think the detail of the stretch limousine, which feels so tacky <laughs> in eight, 1980s Wall Street shit, you know, right. it's like... Obviously, there's a big group of them, so maybe they need that kind of room, but like it, you know, and I think it's funny having Dasha from Red Scare, forgive me, I don't remember her character's name and I don't, can't find it in front of me, but, um, that like her, you know, if people don't know, Red Scare is this very like hip downtown Manhattan, zillennial or young millennial podcast about politics and culture from a very sort of, I guess you could call it left wing standpoint though the dirtbag left could, yeah the dirtbag left yeah, yeah it's right. kind of the the the, the, the distaff version of chapo trap house um so having her on this show um for those who are aware of the podcast is a funny sort of totem of the or tal- you know sort of a reminder of the fact that kendall is way more out of touch than he thinks she is here's this mm-hmm. younger person who throughout the episode keeps kind of cringing at him but trying to do it pleasantly like Oh, I think it actually is kind of bad, or I think it is kind of a big deal. And he's like, no, baby, I got it. It's cool. It's cool. And she's just there to kind of be like, nothing about this is cool. (laughs) No, I mean, for sure. And uh, I think, I think like this just like extends this note when uh, they get out of the limousine and he and Rava decide that they're going to quote unquote do something or like say something to the photographers. And the phrase they come up with is fuck the patriarchy. He just sort of shouts it. Like in the general direction of photographers, and then they turn back and go inside this gala. And I mean, I think like if there was ever a moment, if if you'd ever doubted that the succession writers are mocking Kendall, I think like this is a great moment of like, oh no, he is the fool. He is the fool in this situation. <laughs> oh, fully. Um, I'm just going to correct you. It's Naomi, uh, not Rava. It's Naomi. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. But yeah, no, but it's fine. But um, I, I think Naomi is an interesting presence. I think in this episode. Because she's there all the time. She's not saying much. She's kind of batting things back and forth with Kendall. He's like running jokes by her later. Do you think that Naomi is like a bad influence on him? Or do you think she's just, I mean, can he really, I mean, he's his own bad influence. But like, how do you think she's functioning in this? Well, it's a good question. Also, I can't believe I got her name wrong. But of course, it's a good question because like, you know, they really uh, enabled each other's kind of addictive uh, personalities, like addictive behavior in the last season. So it's like this. I I haven't actively felt like her presence is having much of an influence on Kendall, but she's definitely um, just by uh, just by being there is kind of giving him um, maybe some sort of reassurance uh, that whatever he's doing is is working, which maybe is not actually what he needs to hear right now. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I can't really tell what they're going to do with her. I mean, yes, there is the thing about their sort of shared addictive past. And this concept of being a dry drunk, you know, which is like, you're not taking substances. I mean, I guess they are, or she is anyway, but like, in Kendall's case, like, but you're sort of still exhibiting that sort of behavior, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she's a part of that. But there was also something where I was like, remember, what? what is um Stephen Mnuchin's wife? Uh, oh, Louise the, El- Edrich? Eldridge? What is her name? The sort of like Bond villainess who... Uh, you know, was, was did that photo with all the money, you know, remember, you know, yeah, who yeah, got yeah. in all that trouble for Is that. Is it Louise like, Linton? I, L- Louise right, Linton. right, right. I kind of get like a sort of vibe. I mean, Naomi seems to have like 
more of her own thing going on. But like, I kind of just got this vibe of like, if Kendall is very getting very sort of publicly famous, notorious, whatever, right now, like Naomi as being constantly in the photographs and people sort of speculating about what she's up to and what her deal is, like, it kind of makes sense for Kendall's like developing brand or he's trying to develop one that she be a part of that, I guess. I mean, maybe I'm being cynical even for this show, but. Oh, I mean, I think you're right that like she's done some calculation on how this works for her and is is committing to that. You know, I think I think it's hard to know exactly like what her math is, but I don't think she would be there if she thought it looked bad for her either. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so she disappears quickly from this episode. Um, I hope we get more of that relationship. But what happens when Kendall gets into the benefit is he runs into Shiv. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about about Shiv's like arc in this episode. But um, they have a conversation that is, I mean, kind of a classic Roy sibling conversation where it sort of starts out like it looks like they're maybe sort of apologizing to each other or kind of like trying to create some sort of reconciliation. Um Kendall apologizes for throwing a couple of ugly rocks at her in terms of like the stuff he said. Um, And then Shiv says something about how she wants him to like to stop doing what he's doing, because the only way to really uh, to really have an impact is to fix something from the inside. And then Kendall says very cuttingly, you know, I can't believe they made you get all dressed up for this. Like, I feel sorry for you. Um, And that. Then he goes right on stage to start making a speech. Um, He's in a very self-aggrandizing mode right now. He is. And yet, I know what he means with regard to her. Right. He's not wrong. (laughs) No, because like, you know, Shiv has sort of always, up until this point, been able to sort of be like, I mean, I'm not technically involved with this company. Like, I'm, I'm over here working with progressive political candidates. Like, whatever. Yes, I enjoy the fruits of my family's you know labor or whatever but you know and in this moment kendall's like okay so you picked you know Mm -hmm. and then later she's assuming the mantle of this president of domestic affairs or whatever it was called and and yeah so it's it's funny because the i love the way that this the show offsets this moment of kind of poignancy and clarity shared between them and, and and kendall having this kind of like well okay like i guess that's what you're doing now and then immediately jumps up on stage clapping for himself like an asshole, you know, like th- that moment of like actual sort of sagacity or whatever, like lasts about 30 seconds. It's ter- it's terrible. I mean, so because right after this benefit, we go back to Kendall's um, condo apartment place um, and you get uh, there's a there's a daytime view out the window that made me realize that where Kendall lives is one of those like space needle thin super uh super tall super thin skyscrapers that have become like luxury condos that are like rising like terrible pencils all throughout manhattan um it didn't surprise me at all to sort of see that he was in this like literal sort of ivory tower kind of construction um because that's like so like like metaphysically he is just on a cloud like he is like un unrelated uh un- disconnected from reality and i think it's like really underscored with the whole bit with which features z-way where um they all you know he he's like sees that sophie Wobi, which is z-way's uh, name in this um has like done a bit on him and he's like so excited about it he like starts telling everyone about it he like makes people watch it um and like keeps saying like this is great she loves me and like 
you, the audience, like feel crazy because you're watching her like tear him a new one. Like she she says, like, he thinks he's woke, but he's actually a fucking jackass. Like, call it comes up with this name for him, Oedipusy, uh, the Oedip part being like the Oedipal complex. Um has like a a lot of criticism of him that like I think we have too, just based on him sort of like embodying the patriarchy and then strutting into this thing saying to fuck the patriarchy. Um and I think the thing that really like there's so much in this, but I, I, I guess the thing that I took away from it was like either Kendall is like so deeply in his own narrative that he doesn't understand what's happening, or maybe he can't differentiate all the time between humiliation and like adulation like when someone's paying attention to you there if it's positive attention versus negative attention is like a significant difference but kendall doesn't see doesn't see that significant difference he um he's just taking it all in as positive right exactly because i mean that's kind of the like if daddy's yelling at me at least he's looking at me and paying attention to me you know um and i'm really glad you brought up what we can kind of assume the building he lives in is, you know, because for those who don't know about these buildings that Sonia's referring to, it's these mega tall, super tall, I forget what the actual term is, but like skyscrapers mostly on Central Park South in Midtown Manhattan that, you know, there there are units there selling for over $100 million. It's a, it's a really, you know, and they're these kind of disgusting blights, these these towers of wealth, um, you they're, know, on, they're on, awful. in the, the New York... They're, they're terrible. They're and, awful. And, and, I, and I think the thing about them being awful is that the metaphor as it relates to Kendall there is like, yeah, everyone can see you, but no one likes you. You know, like <laughs> visibility is not necessarily good in this scenario, just like those buildings. And and those buildings also are having trouble getting like safety certifications. There's apparently howling wind in the elevators, the buildings sway, like they're kind of actually miserable to be in. And so this glamorous, you know, high profile palace that Kendall finds himself in is actually kind of a mess that everyone hates. Right. And yet the appearance of being sort of high, like of being as high as right. possible is like all that all that matters. Yeah, it's it's it, it's such a great note, um, that little thing. Um, so then once so once we uh, once he I don't know, for some reason, Sophie Wobi really gets him like revved up about about his position like even more um because after all of this attention from her he wakes up the next morning and he's like i'm gonna fuck up everybody's life and decides that he's gonna go into waystar royco which he has not done since the press conference and i would say that like this moment is like one of succession like great kind of combining like the high dramatic tension with like what feels like slapstick comedy because everything that happens is like Everyone is so stressed out, but it's also so stupid. <laughs> um, like Kendall, but Kendall uh, getting through the security, uh, getting the, through the security gates at the big, at the uh, ground floor of the office. They there are two people meet him there. One of them is Hugo. They're like trying to convince him to go somewhere else, and he won't do it. And eventually, he gets upstairs, and he's convinced that they're trying to like can manipulate the air conditioner to like make him uncomfortable it's like uh it's like paranoia writ large and everyone else around him is is experiencing that same heightened level of like if kendall comes into the building like our defenses are down yeah yeah and and there's that that bizarre moment with the what is he like the head of security or something yes who's like i know you you like, know <laughs> and, 
And it does kind of affect Kendall, like, and I, I think, you know, it's like one of those, like, old stories where, like, the king is out with the public and, like, some old crone appears out of the crowd and it's like, you know, like, curses, you know, or whatever. Like, it just feels like suddenly this person put this, like, black mark on him. Mm-hmm. It's, I was sort of expecting that guy to, like, loop back or, like, maybe we'd learn his name or something. But maybe this is just what happens. <laughs> like, in, like there's someone shows up for you and you've never seen them before, but that's the person who's going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like I, regards from your father, you know, and then the knife goes in. Yeah. Um. So we don't see exactly how he does it, but the Kendall gets to Waystar Royko, Royko right before the town hall, and Shiv goes up to give the speech. It's her big moment. I keep saying we're going to get back to Shiv. I promise we're going to get back to Shiv. She's having her big moment, and then. <laughs> speakers in this in this uh common area which seems to be multi-story um start blasting nirvana's rape me um really funny very topical in a way um shiv tries to power through it can't power through it the moment's a disaster everyone's running around um, and we don't even see, we don't see Kendall do, we don't even see him gloating. It's kind of this interesting, just chaotic, um, moment. Um, but he presumably had something to do with that and then is even more high on his own supply. <laughs> and that's when he goes, decides that he is going to go onto Sophie Wobie's show and he is going to like make his, uh, I don't know, make his mark publicly even more publicly on this show that purports to hate him he's going to go on to her show by demanding he go on and and you know barging in and interrupting the writers and you know when he's been told not to and like you know again like with i think it's a nice mirror of that first scene with the reporter where it's like yeah he can gain access because they're curious to see what he'll do on this show that they you know that that's been covering him but like he can't control the, their narrative you know of course. um and and him sort of saying oh i know some guy who knows him from the lampoon and uh you know i know people i can get jay-z sure yeah yeah and it's like that's obviously not true mm-hmm. um that's the limits of his power are being made manifest and i think that like as he kind of collapses into this heap about you know when when shiv's letter kind of gets ma- made public um you you kind of see him maybe having the dawning realization that like I'm out in the cold here. Mm. Like I have tons of money and I'm famous-ish right now. And that commands a certain kind of, you know, uh, respect or something, deference. Um, but like, I, I am, he's so used to having all of the resources of, an, of a huge infrastructure. And he's now realizing that he doesn't have any of that. And um, his family has, in essence, abandoned him. Oh, right. In this, and it's this kind of like, it's a drawn out sort of like, you get the sad succession theme, like with the piano sad theme, um, as he, uh, he, he has this conversation with the, with the producer of the show. It, 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 she says, we're going on in 15 minutes. Like, what are you trying to tell me? And what I loved that in this conversation, he is like unable to say that he can't go on the show. Like he he cannot bring himself to do it. Maybe because he believes until he's halfway down the hall away from her that he is going to do it. He's somehow going to face this like terrible like character assassination from his family or at least from his sister and all of the other shit that's happened. It's like finally he feels it in that moment. Shiv really living up to her name with this like stiletto to the heart thing. Um, 
and you see him you see jeremy strong like begin to feel all of his uh all of all of what he feels he's been entitled to that kind of delusion is sort of falling from him and then he and i think this is so heartbreaking and also so revealing he really just runs and hides he he he's walking down the hallway makes a turn keeps going finds an empty room and just crowd you know just it's so childlike he just collapses into this crouch he's just sort of hoping daddy doesn't find him yeah and exactly and and i think you know he's been running on such high energy since the end of last season yeah and that was gonna give out at some point you know yeah and to have it happen there and like that feeling of like where do i go right now <laughs> like i'm so embarrassed and hurt and just stripping every impulse down to like the most primal thing and just finding a small space <laughs> to crouch into a ball you know yeah. like it's really sad and i think that something that really compounds that is when we hear um sophie read this mm. statement mm. from shiv and it's so carefully worded in this like concerned way you know, it's not a vituperative attack on her brother. I mean, he knows it is. He understands it to be that. And, you know, Sophie makes a joke and she's the nice one. But it is at least kind of cow- the, 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 the the letter is like, we're, you know, we're worried. Please give him his space. So, like, you know, you know, don't, you know, leave him alone, essentially. And like, what has he been doing but courting fame this, you know, this whole season thus far? And so her just saying, like, don't give him any of that. Like, he needs help. You know, it's such a it, it makes it that much crueler. Mm. because there's a ton of truth in it right exactly yeah that that letter i think the thing that is uh really interesting about the letter is that it it works so well like i I don't know that i would have anticipated it working so well but it really takes him apart um and if it weren't for the fact that right as he is crouching down and listening to this uh listening to sophie read this letter if it weren't for the fact that his phone at that moment lights up with, hey, the FBI is raiding your dad's company, um, this episode would have been like perfectly an arc, uh, perfectly a diagonal line of Kendall at the top of the world to Kendall at the bottom of the world. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I think it I think it ends up being a little bit more squiggly as a result. Um, and and I, I kind of appreciate us seeing just how much Kendall is going through. Kendall's not a typical whistleblower by any means, but I do think the psychological the psychological toll of being a whistleblower uh is is real um so i appreciate it i i sort of appreciate it for that reason um so i have a question for you like as it pertains to the real world yeah let's say one of rupert murdoch's sons yeah and there was a there was a there was a particular scandal of this size a massive rape and intim- cover up and intimidation you know cer- you know cycle of behavior from a quarter century ago you know, which would be pretty significant if that happened to News Corp. Um, and one of the sons went rogue. Do you think in real life he would become as like zeitgeisty a public figure, you know, as Kendall has to the point that people care about a statement that his sister read? You know what I mean? Yeah, I knew what you mean. I, I, and I do think it would happen. Maybe not quite okay. in this way, but you know, you, so the the Roger Ailes thing really did happen to News Corp, and 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 it's interesting to imagine. You know, at that time when that scandal was unfolding, I do think there was a lot of attention on James Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch and what they were saying and what they were doing and what they were willing to stand for. And I believe I believe one of them put some pressure um, 
maybe it was reported later, put some pressure to like make this behavior not okay in some way. And I feel like that was like important, like it was really seized on. My sort of cynical thing is it's really just because it's people with a lot of money um, and people with mm-hmm. with a lot of money and sort of a personal narrative that you can that you can get onto. But like, you know, if like one of the lot, if like this whole Roger Ailes thing happens, say one of the Murdoch brothers was the ones that broke it. And then the other Murdoch brother writes this like scathing letter about it. I'd read the whole thing. I don't know if everybody yeah. would, but I would read the whole thing. I think maybe our publication would be interested in that. Would cover that. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You know. Just just a little pub called Vanity Fair. Yeah. It's no. Dynastic I- scandal. It's, I, it would be a new thing for us. But So if the Murdochs are listening, <laughs> yeah. we're here for you anytime. Um, before, before we leave Kendall, I want to say one more thing, because it is important, and I think it's going to be important later, which is that Kendall gives but doesn't really give greg a watch (laughs) (laughs) yes yes thank you for not forgetting that well greg certainly didn't forget it um and the story of this watch is that greg thinks it's a gift and is so excited about the gift that he even tells tom he's like oh kendall's giving me a gift um and then kendall's like lol this is not a gift and has this shares this moment with naomi where they're both kind of like haha this poor person thinks i'm gonna buy them a forty thousand dollar watch like no conception of how of how much money that is to to greg clearly and then the watch stops working um so that's all that's like literally the entire watch plot line but it happens over the course of the episode and i i really i feel like it's very important <laughs> It is, and and it it sort of involves Greg flirting with the publicist played by Dasha, yeah. Um, and which is kind of an interesting little background development in this episode, um, that was hinted at an episode previous. Um, but it also involves the line, "I've always used my cell phone for my time based needs," <laughs> which is an incredible turn of phrase. My time based needs. I mean, that really kind of starts to feel existential if you think about it too much. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, we've said Dasha's name so many times, but we haven't said her last name. So I'm just going to clarify that her last name is Nekrasova. Her name is Dasha Nekrasova. Sorry, Dasha. Um, okay, so let's now finally get to Shiv, and we'll we'll lump uh, we'll lump Tom in with uh, with Shiv too, um, because I think like the in in a lot of ways Shiv's also ha- has a very dramatic episode. Um, Tom too, but but Shiv's sort of more of the carrying this mantle now because she has this role now she's the president of domestic operations in an advisory capacity which sort of sounds like nothing but it certainly is something you can put on your resume um and she's in shiv is in the middle of all of these conversations that are happening uh in waystar royco where things are pretty chaotic up top um jerry's trying to make decisions logan's sometimes listening to her decisions sometimes completely contradicting them Everyone in the middle is sort of trying to keep both people happy. Everyone is angry about how no one seems to be listening to them. Like, Jerry's mad that people won't listen to her. Logan's mad that people aren't listening to him. Um, Waystar Royco suggested a new branding campaign to respond to it. Um, It's a bunch of posters that say, we get it. (laughs) Um, Jerry greenlit it, but everyone else hates it. Um... And then the first thing that Shiv does is she volunteers to approach Kendall at this journalism benefit. Um, after and after she's rebuffed, she goes back and talks to Logan. Um, so yeah, that's like I think that conversation with Logan is kind of the first thing where I started to really be interested in the Shiv plotline. But I don't want to skip if there's something you wanted to say, Richard. No, I mean I I think that you know Shiv saying about the we get it being like 
well, it sounds a little like we get it, we get it. And she's, she's right, you know, <laughs> but like, and you know, I kind of like almost rolled my eyes at that. I was like, this feels very TV, but it's like, how many dumb goddamn corporate slogans have we seen in real life and seen mocked on Twitter? I mean, it's actually very believable, it's, you know? Yes, that's true. It's highly believable. It's very hard to make an inoffensive corporate slogan. Most of them are very bad. Um, Particularly as it pertains to like trying to like clean house and like save face, you know, like yeah. and and address like a really systematic horrifying thing. I'd be like, ah, we get it, or we get it, no, we get it. Like it's just like it's like you you have to like it it, it requires so much like spoken aloud tone to to like understand what the intent is that it that makes it a bad slogan, you know? Yeah. Um, fun, and then of course, after complaining about it, Shiv uses it the next day right. in yeah. her speech, which I which I also loved. Um, but let's talk about this conversation she has with Logan um, after the benefit. So it's at night, and it's it's in his place, um, and he's really pushing. He's like, "Why isn't my only daughter saying more to either disparage Kendall or to support me?" And she's like, "Dad, but I am supporting you." And they, like, sort of have a conversation about what he knew when he knew it. Um, And he's, like, he gets very blustery. He says at some point, you will not find a piece of paper that makes you embarrassed of me. I protected you. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I watched this episode twice. And the first time I was kind of like, oh, okay, interesting. Some context. And then the second time I was like, oh, he's manipulating her. (laughs) He's, He's fully, he's fully giving her a performance and she is buying it hook line and sinker yeah she is in a way that i think really is in dialogue with the scene with kendall at the at the gala yeah. where he sees that she has taken the pill mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i think she is at least conscious of the pill working its way through her system it hasn't completely worked yet but this scene where and it's you know we can we'll talk we can get more into logan but like one of the way the the way this character is written and the way it's performed uh, by Brian Cox is so shrewd because you see how he calibrates his approach with each of his children. Yes, you know, yeah. uh, Roman gets the kind of like tough talking, foul mouthed kind of thing because that's what he likes, and with Shiv, he can kind of appeal to that like gruff old teddy bear thing that she wants to see in him, you know, and ultimately he cares about like making his daughter proud and not embarrassing her. Um, and, and I, and that works on her quite a lot, even as she's being asked and scolded to some extent for not speaking out on his behalf, not because she's one of his children, but because she's her, his only daughter. And so he's saying, we have a woman problem. So, Hey woman, right. go deal with this. Right. And right. she does. And I think it's a kind of an interesting psychological sort of theory or mapping of like why, you know, some women in the real world stick around at you know in these really toxic corporations i mean there are myriad reasons why but one of them might be this kind of like well but my sort of loyalty was appealed to and 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 you know i don't know is that is am i overstepping no no i i think you i think you're making a good point because she has well i i first of all I completely agree with you that like the daddy's girl narrative is so seductive to both of them at different times like but at shiv's wedding Logan was very susceptible to the to the like this is my only daughter she deserves something special narrative and then I felt like the reverse in this case and I do think that that 
corresponds well to, you know, why do individual women stay in places that have, you know, toxic behavior, toxic misogyny at large? And it's because it's working for them, right? Or at least she thinks at this point that her dad has her back. So this woman is is covered. This woman is is golden. And I, I think that's kind of right now, unfortunately, like that's as far as Shiv's um that's as far as like Shiv's con- like vision is reaching. She's she's not looking at farther farther enough to see to see other women. She's really focused on herself. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, you know the, the the major signifier of that is she finally has a title at the company, and 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 the title in particular is sort of meant to be this public facing, like I'm I'm here to clean house, whatever you know, and really work with like corporate responsibility and all that stuff, and 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 so that's a kind of that's a really deft manipulation of what her interests were, let's say, in the first season, you know. Yeah, for sure. And so it's it's enough to convince her that she's yes, she knows she's playing that the the Game of Thrones, you know, and and all that. She's not such a she's not so naive as to think that she's not in a power grab at the same time. But like this also feels like a real gig, you know, and and a real job that she's uniquely suited for. When of course it's all just cover, you know. He says that to Shiv. He says, you know, Jerry is just PR or whatever. You're you're something else. It's like no, she's the same thing. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that sincerity from Logan, um, or what she perceives as sincerity from Logan, it really works really well at making Shiv complicit in his in his crimes or in his abuses at least. Um, and he is very insistent here that he didn't know. That he like he like she's like you were on the emails and he's like oh I get so many emails which is not a defense that holds up in court by the way so I was like okay <laughs> but um he claims to have re- be re- quite distant from from this whole culture and at some point she calls bullshit on him she's like Tom worked in cruises like I know this wasn't just a couple of bad apples but she's still willing to believe that he didn't engage in this kind of behavior it would be very interesting like. What's interesting to me about that is like Logan's made promises to Shiv that are pretty easy to blow up if someone has proof. If someone has proof that Logan knew or Logan did something, I think that that takes apart this entire construct he's created for Shiv. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes. Yeah, and and it's you see these moments. She's like hullabaloo, <laughs> you know, like what do you like? This is bigger than a hullabaloo. <laughs> uh, and then later, he Logan says like like moaning minis, like repeat litigators or whatever, you know, really reducing this. And those are obvious signifiers about how seriously he's taking this. He's taking it seriously as a threat to his autonomy and his, you know, gump company. But the actual material, like what, whose lives are being spoken about and what happened, like that doesn't matter. And Shiv is able to kind of be like, uh, well, that's dear old dad, I guess, you know, <laughs> like it's just that he's just, that's just how he talks, not how he thinks or acts, which of course is not true. Right. So after after this conversation, which is pretty, pretty weird, uh, she goes home and have has like an even more bonkers conversation with the other man in her life, her husband, Tom. Um, I Something I didn't know is that they have a dog named Mondale. Something we know is that now their dog Mondale has eaten a pair of her pantyhose, um, which I thought was very cute. Um, but in the midst of whatever domestic drama that is, um, Tom... Tom introduces the idea that not only could he go to jail uh, for for the for the crimes that were committed in the cruise division, um, but maybe he should offer to go, offer not the government but 
Logan. He should offer to be essentially the fall guy for Waystar Roko. Um, this this is so bonkers because um, you know, there's so obviously there's so much risk involved. Tom clearly does not want to go to prison. Um, Shiv's handling of it is so. On one hand, she's like, oh, of course you shouldn't do that. That's a terrible idea. And then, wait a minute, but that could make a win out of a no-win situation. Like, his wife uh, very much giving him mixed messages about this very large decision. And ultimately ends up, I think sort of Shiv ends up indicating to him, like, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe you should go to jail for a couple of years. The way that she turns it from, no, 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 pause, pause, but... You know, actually, maybe like I, I, it's just like clearly that's she. The second part of that is what she immediately thought, but like had to kind of play. You know, like the, you know, in that it's like the game you play when it, it, someone's like, "No, I got it." And you're like, "No, no, no," and you sort of pretend to reach for your wallet, <laughs> but all the while you're like, "No, I'm gonna let them pay." You yeah, know, yeah. Um, just watching the wheels turn in her head and they they're turning pretty quickly, um, is interesting and chilling because you know that's what her dad does. Her dad takes gestures that are maybe cynical, but also sort of done out of a sense of loyalty or love even, mm-hmm. and, you know, extracts them for their sort of barest utility and lets people really hamstring themselves. And, um, I mean, I Tom is really fucking himself over here, right? Because he, he, he when he talks to Logan, he doesn't ask for anything. I guess the strategy is it's a longer game than that. But um, I got the impression in that scene with Logan and Tom that like Logan is just going to let him do that if he wants to do it or keep that in his back pocket and then nothing, nothing will be given in return. Oh yeah, exactly. Both Logan and increasingly Shiv seem, seem to be signaling. They are more than happy to just use up Tom, (laughs) use up the resources that he's offering them. Um, Tom throughout this episode, I think is also like, uh, it's almost like he's speaking from like the bottom of a well or something. Like he feel he he really feels sunken into the fear of um you know of the law. Um, and the fact that he takes that feeling and turns it into like how can I volu- like volunteer to like eat shit for the company is I think a really just I thought it was very interesting. Um, it to me it it's uh in direct comparison to, uh you know Kendall's relationship with uh being humiliated. Um, and Logan saying to saying to Marsha in the last episode that he he just doesn't eat shit. He just won't eat shit. Um, I think that there's there's just some interesting. I mean, there's just some interesting depth there. I think there's also maybe a little bit of a mystery or or something we're going to learn more with Tom because there's like a mysterious kind of phone call he makes. And um, we know he has a lawyer, but we don't know exactly what he said with the lawyer. Um, and so I, I found myself wondering if there was going to be like a twist in that regard. I don't know if Tom is like, you know, 3D chess playing or whatever, mm. but there is a there is a theory that like, that was all a test. Oh. Like, would Shiv actually let me do this? Would he actually let me do this? Yep, they would. So now I'm going to lawyer up and, right, you know, get my own deal or whatever. Right. Like, but also like, good for Tom if that is what he is realizing. Yeah. Like, I don't. I mean, I. It's it's a little terrifying how quickly these people are willing to to let him do that. Um, 
and then I, I don't know if there's that much more to say about his situation um, right now, but uh, his whole tone in this episode is just very hapless because the other major thing he does is manage this investors meeting at the very, it's like a dinner. It's like a nice dinner for, I'm sorry, not the investors, the advertisers. The advertisers. The right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So the advertisers for ATN. Um, and he's, you know, talking about uh, talking about their viewer loyalty and all this stuff. And then is like, not to alarm anyone, but it appears as if federal agents are raiding the building. <laughs> and he says raiding. And it's like, Tom, <laughs> don't say raiding. Say like, there are some federal officers like, you know, in, in the, the course of their investigation, like and we're compl- you know, we're cooperating, like, like soften it. Don't say raiding. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it's like. He, he always steps on his own feet, you know? Yeah, he's he's just, yeah, he's not capable of that 3D chess, uh, as we've, yeah, as we've established. Um, so to go back to Shiv for a second, because I think that, like, the town hall meeting is such a, sh- is supposed to be such a showcase for her. And I really loved the scene right before it, uh, or it's like a shot, like right before the town hall, where um, she's walking down the hallway um, and she's like flanked by all of these sort of functionaries and she's in the center and her hair is kind of like flying back a little bit with like some sort of imagined interior wind. Um, and everyone's sort of like whispering things in her ear and like giving her support out of nowhere. Hugo is telling her that he's like always been on her side and like supported her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, like, you might have is- noticed, but I, I, I promise <laughs> I've been working you know, behind the scenes this whole time. And then. She goes on stage and starts giving the speech completely like cannot maintain her composure once the music starts like really clumsily kind of tries to power through it and then and then gets really flustered and leaves. And the the shot right afterwards is another hallway shot, but she's so diminished. Like in the first one, she took up most of the screen. And in this one, she's like a tiny little figurine um, and she's walking up this like cold sort of deserted hallway turns into the office that is Kendall's, theoretically, and uh, <laughs> hawks a loogie into his, into his planner, I guess. Um, really, cl- clearly a big, a big setback for her, that whole moment. Yeah, and she's crying a little bit, and, you know, she sees the speaker boxes. I, I, I don't know if I totally, like, understand the, how that would, he did that, or you know, when did he get those, you know, speakers in there, you know, Mm. but it's clear that like Kendall was involved in this and she's upset. I guess I'm what I'm trying to figure out. And maybe that's the point is, is she upset that her big like debutante ball for Waystar Royco, uh, her big unveiling is this competent, you know, new generation voice of reason, uh, which kind of was going okay until the music started playing. I thought she seemed, you know, smooth, kind of like she has that political background, like she can talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, was she upset that that got ruined or that her brother did such a personal betrayal? You know, he knew what that he would have known what that moment meant for her. He would have known how discordant any music would have been. But but the word rape and a song from like at least Kendall's childhood, you know, mm-hmm. like that has holds a certain weight like it's both at once i guess like that's why you know she's crying because of both things but do you think that she weighs one as a worse thing than the other i well based based on the fact that the the letter comes right afterwards i i think that the betrayal from kendall is a big part of why she's angry but i do think that the moment being taken from her 
is really the root of it. Like she she wants that moment. She wants to be anointed. She wants to be in like on the inside and on top. And and in a way, I mean, it is very, you know, kind of classic girl boss culture again, where like she's like, well, I'm doing everything by the rules. Like I'm in the corporation. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm saying what they are telling me to say. And you're you're you know, you're disrupting. You're you're causing you're causing scenes and everyone's paying attention to you and no one's paying attention to me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the people who know you best can hurt you the worst. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, on both sides of this, you know, and um, it it is interesting, though, that Connor and Roman were a little more like not reticent, I don't think, out of morals, but also kind of, yes, out of morals. Right. Um, And, and watching her be like, well, you're not gonna, you're not with me just in the same way that Kendall right. experienced with his three siblings in episode two, you know, yeah, uh, or was it one? I don't remember. But um, like. It's an interesting episode of Shiv and Kendall realizing that they have made their choices, they have made their beds, and it's going to be a little more difficult than they thought it would and hurt more and be more isolating. For sure. I mean, because, and I think my interpretation of with Connor and Roman declining to sign this letter is that it's, it's, it's too personal. It's too, it's, it's driven by more emotion than they are feeling towards Kendall, but Shiv's really feeling it. Uh, and and her her ambition is currently being thwarted, right? Like, I feel like she's uh she's getting angrier about about the fact that she's not getting this thing that she's entitled to. Um, yeah, I just I want to just call attention to the fact that Connor calls <laughs> has two really funny um terms for the letter. The first is that he describes it as the greeting card from hell, and then he calls it a Times New Roman firing squad. Um, I really liked both of those. Um, uh, yeah, generally. And uh, I like writing wise that we don't know what's in it yet. Yeah, right. And that's only revealed later. I think that's clever. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk about Logan um, for a second. Um, he's back in New York. He's back on his bullshit. Um, episode starts. He's just yelling at everybody, not power sharing with Jerry. We talked a little bit about this conversation that he has with Shiv, which starts actually with him. Uh, when Shiv comes in, you get a little glimpse of Marsha negotiating uh, with Celeste and still, Brissa, still negotiating, still, neg- still negotiating. Yeah. Um, and he says, I th- "He says I feel another million drain with every cluck from that hen house," which is like, what a misogynist asshole! <laughs> and 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 it's like Logan saying that. As he enters a conversation in which he intends to appeal to his daughter's femininity and like, like daughterly loyalty to him, it's like, dude, maybe don't lead with that. Like, I know, but well, what a window you know. into like the mixed messages about her gender empowerment or whatever Shiv's gender empowerment. That it's like you're the daughter, you're the girl boss, you're inferior to men in every way. Like, there's no, she can't really get any clear air there. Um, okay, so before the town hall, uh, Lo- and this is actually the same scene where Tom, like, tells tells Logan, by the way, I'll go to jail for you. Um, Logan is standing behind the scenes of an ATN morning show, and he is waiting for what turns out to be Michelle Ann, who was the woman on the phone with Jerry in the first episode, um, who is the president's pantsuit, uh, pantsuit barnacle, um, who's played by Linda Emmond, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Great theater actress, d- does a lot of TV as well. 
I know her from the good the good fight good wife universe where she's a recurring judge. Um, so she's definitely got that like legal eagle uh, look to her. After her interview, um, Logan like pulls her aside and they have this meeting. So it's the head of ATN, major conservative news organization, and one of the president's right hand people. This woman and they are having this quiet little tete a tete in in this office um and basically logan puts all the pressure he can on her yeah and and uh, the writing is so clever because it's like they're not neither of them are really saying exactly what they want but they arrive at an understanding or at least logan thinks they do where basically he's like she's like well the president also you know isn't that happy with some of the recent coverage and he's like i could make it a lot worse and then she's like and then basically she says, like, uh, you know, I could talk to somebody or whatever, or or the president could think differently. And Logan says, well, I mean, I, I guess we could, you know, lay off for a little bit. You know, like, like they're, they're being coy about it, but they know exactly what they're saying. They just don't want to come out and say, I'll give you I'll give him better coverage if you get me out of this, you know. Right. Um, and eventually she says, like, we want the same thing. Let's see if we can figure right. something out. But the whole conversation really just kind of made my skin crawl. Um, and I think, and you'll have to tell, I mean, tell me what you think about this, but based on what she said and the way they were talking about the president, I got the impression we were dealing with a Trump-like president more than a Biden-like president, because I guess it seemed like he was a, a Republican president. And, and and someone who is very, pays close attention to media and Right. Slight variations in coverage and, you know, and just, just, you know, like Trump would would sort of get mad at Fox and then love Fox again and then liked OANN and then, you know, what, you know, on and on. Right. Um, and and this seems to be like your calibration is off. Right. You know, you've 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 been a little hard on him recently. So could you kind of back off? You know, he's 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 upset. He pays close attention to this stuff. Um, so, yes, that definitely feels Trumpian. Yeah, I mean, and it was, you know, Katie had brought up how the show will feel different or, or not different in the post-Trump era. And I and I think I think what we're seeing is that the writers are interested in in teasing out some of the details of how they imagine these conversations that we kind of know happened or we can sort of impl- like infer happened um, where, you know, there's uh, there's a liaison between uh, the White House and and the biggest conservative news uh, organization in the country, which, you know, really did happen in the in the person of Bill Shine and Sean Hannity at the White House. So um, kind of interesting to see that and interesting to see where that goes. But basically, whatever Logan's pressure on Michelle Ann backfires, at least according to Jerry, it backfires because approximately 12 hours later maybe even less the fbi is shows up at waystar royco um and then in that moment and i think this is finally the reversal that i think we kind of knew was coming um logan decides that it's not war anymore now we're cooperating with the fbi yeah and and that whole like you know the the who would have been the the district attorney or something found out about this meeting and saw that as some sort of collusionary act activity or something and it spooked him. And so now like they're going harder than they would have normally, um, you know, and he's like, talking about reaching out to the Southern district. And it just makes me think about like, you know, when, when various New York prosecutors were going after Trump and, and there was a certain kind of 
sense from the administration of like, well, we actually we can't do anything about these prosecutors. You know, we'll try to get the FBI in our back pocket. We'll try to do this and that and, you know, to varying success. And you have a similar situation here where much like Kendall, much like Shiv in this episode, Logan has for now reached a limit of his power Mm -hmm. and him turning and staring out the window and, 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 and a little crumble kind of comes across his face, you know, much as it did for Shiv and Kendall elsewhere in the episode where he's like, oh, I really am backed up against the wall here, you know, and, and he kind of wearily turns around and soft, more softly says like, we're, we're going to, we're going to cooperate, you know, because what else can you do? The FBI's in the elevator, you know, he, um, he was trying to come up with other ideas and they all sounded really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very bad yeah don't yeah, don't yeah. let them in <laughs> it's like well <laughs> well it's interesting because I, I think that like we see jerry in this episode undermined consistently feeling frustrated about that trying to assert her ceo-ness uh and kind of not being listened to or you know or or worse yeah. insulted yeah um and and yet in two crucial moments she says about firing Kendall when they're like, we don't want to let him up. I mean, this is all this is these both of these scenes are happening when some someone scary is downstairs, you know, <laughs> someone that's at the gates. They literally say that about the FBI they're at the gates. Um, she says, you cannot file fire, fire Kendall. That will get hand the the FBI gas can. You know, you cannot do that. Right. And then later at the you know, at the end of this episode, she's like, we cannot have the optics of the FBI breaking our door down. Right. You know, and in those crucial moments, Logan in all of his bluster does listen to her. Right. And so I think that like she does still hold some power, but it's more in that like putting a gentle hand on his arm, oh, but forceful and saying, look, buddy, like I know you like to be bellicose and hard charging and not cede to anybody. But like this is strategy here and you are too consumed with anger at your son to uh, see the clear picture here. And so she has to remind him of that. And that's power. Yeah. I really, not to plug our own podcast, but um, I really loved the conversation that Joy Press had with uh, the two of them, with Brian Cox and Jay Smith Cameron, uh, talking a a bit about the relationship, because both of the actors seem to kind of have built a backstory in their minds about it, uh, which I, I really liked hearing about. But definitely, they both also identified that even even in this moment of tension, there is surprising trust um, between those two that yes jerry is able to say like you cannot do this and and he listens um it's kind of incredible so um let's go to, to let's talk about our our last uh, sibling i guess we talked about connor a little by connor you're done connor let's talk about roman um and one of the reasons i wanted to talk about roman last is because i got to talk to him about this episode um so we'll uh we'll throw to the interview at the end of this um but let's talk a little bit about Roman in this episode first. I mean, what's kind of great is like a lot of the other characters are having big arcs. Um, and Roman's kind of like swimming along and sort of doing pretty well. Like he's like he's like treading water in like a pretty good way. Um, he's he's his the wisecracking will not stop. Um, I I think that the the melt it's not exactly a meltdown but when shiv and roman are presented with the town hall questions which is basically just like like you know they they have this town hall to be like we want to hear what our employers real what our employees really need to know from us and like in order for them to feel good about working in the company and then they get the real questions and they're so shiv and roman are so dismissive of it it's like such a laugh out loud funny scene that they're like not this we can't ask this dad's gonna shit his pants if he says this i felt like it was like a carefully coordinated slapstick it was so funny 
I think Kendall, or sorry, Roman at one point says, this is just rude or something. <laughs> right. And I you're like, man, have you met you all? Like, this is how this works. He says something like, I don't think someone should work at this company if they think this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. He, he's mostly kind of the, the snarky, you know, Loki of the episode kind of, you know, darting around in the background. But I think there is that really heartbreaking scene after he's done this very, very soft pedal interview with someone from atn business you know yep about yes streaming in south asia but also mostly like at the end we're gonna ask some questions about dear old dad you mm-hmm. know and he gets really frustrated and then in the scene you know a couple scenes later when when he talks to logan about it you see why he was so uh, averse to doing this was because he just had to make something up Right. Because there were no, it was like Connor took me on the fishing trip and Logan says to him, I wouldn't have taken you for a faggot. (laughs) And then he says, oh, I'm just joking, you know, and, and, you know, much like we see how Logan appeals to Shiv in that meeting scene here, we see his dynamic with Roman. And I think with Roman though, is that the pain that this stuff causes is much more on the surface, you know, and I think that's testament to uh, Kieran Culkin's performance, like that, that I'm really curious where Roman's going this season, but there's a part of me that might could almost see him being the one who actually breaks out of this because he is so consistently mired in bad memories, you know, sexual abuse that he's alluded to in the past, not from the family, but you know, that was not really addressed at the time. Mm. Um, that like, him having to like tell this like shaggy bored ATN business reporter a, a fake story about one memory, a happy memory with his dad that had nothing to do with work. Like I feel like he might reach a breaking point in a in a healthy way. Oh, that's that's such a good read I think because I agree that he seems more conscious of how his dad affects him than than the other characters and um in that in that last scene with Logan um Logan's doing the manipulation very clearly. You know, the way he talks to Roman's so different from the way he talks to Shiv. And he keeps saying, he keeps calling Roman a smart cookie for like keeping his nose out of it, which is like kind of patronizing. Um, and I think, I mean, I hope I'm not reading too much in it, but the way that I read, you know, Roman's response to it was kind of like, what's this angle? Like, what, what are you trying to do here? Like, I'm kind of just trying to like, keep my nose to the grindstone he likes working with jerry it's sort of all working right now um i really felt more suspicion coming from him about his father than i did with shiv even though it sort of seems like roman's currently easier to control yeah i I thought it was a funny moment when he's going to the office late at night jerry's working i don't think he was going there to talk about numbers you know (laughs) But then his dad is still there, and he's like, "Oh, hi, you're here." And then he's like, "I, I was just there to blah blah blah." And then it, then Logan's like, "Well, you're working late." Like, I don't think that slyness means that Logan is like aware of whatever is going on between Roman and Jerry. But like, in that, like, "Oh, you're working hard." There is mocking, mm-hmm. you know, and um, but also an appraisal. I mean, I, 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 I think that like Logan, for all of his, you know, bluster and concern about the company and his fate. He really likes watching these kids duke it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really fun for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, because maybe he sees that as them competing for his affection, which it is in some senses. Um, and and the problem is that Kendall has 
ruined the game or, or changed the rules of the game for now. And uh, even though there was that little smile at the end of season two, uh, you know, he seems very hurt by that. Um, and so this little like mocking pas de deux with, with Roman seems to him to be him kind of trying to get that rhythm back to normal, you know? And what is, I think, kind of interesting and sort of amazing about Roman is that he's sort of been able to maintain pot, like a good relationship with both Kendall and Shiv in this situation. Like Kendall and Shiv are now on the outs with each other. Um, Shiv approaches him about this letter and uh, Roman's response is like really visceral and really honest where he's just like, mm, this doesn't feel right. And she's like, that's not a reason. And he says, I think this is a very funny line. Oh, well, then take me to reason court and fucking sue me, <laughs> which is like a playground response. And like one I'm going to have to remember, like for some future point in my life. But I think sort of underlines how his, his character is is processing emotion differently, I think, and has has some a little bit more of a grasp of uh, of the stuff that's happening to him. Um and and this is I mean, so to throw to my uh, to my interview here. I got I got the chance to talk to to Karen for um, like fifteen minutes or so, um, and he said something similar about how he just thinks that uh, Roman's just really responding in the moment. Um, so listen now. So the the town hall ends with uh, Shiv trying to give that speech, and then the Nirvana, um, the Nirvana, yeah, the Nirvana coming in, which is uh, you know really topical and uh, really awkward, also. Wow, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. I think um, one of the reasons, well, you know, it was exciting to get to talk to you in general because I feel like Roman is just always like a really interesting character in every episode, but. Um, I think what's been interesting, I'm trying to keep pace with the podcast, so I'm up to episode three right now. I think what's been really interesting is I feel like I have no idea what Roman wants. I I think like he's one of the most interesting, hard to pin down characters on the show because I can sort of see like Kendall kind of wants to like be a maybe a good person. Shiv kind of wants to be a good person. I don't think that's like that important to Roman. I don't. I think Roman's like, can I have power? Can I amass it somehow? And he's interested in however, whichever avenue that might take. It's funny. Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't quite see it that way. I don't think he's trying to amass power. I don't think he. I think he has less of an agenda than than maybe the the other siblings do. Um, What's what is the agenda, or is he just like reacting? Maybe. Yeah, I think there's it's less planned. I feel like, you know, you said Kendall wants to be a good person. I don't know that that's really if I were to look at it. I think he wants people to like him. I think he Yeah. Yeah. Wants, I mean, he's high on himself because nobody is high on him. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, in that first episode he says to Rabba, like, you think I can do it? You know, in this really helpful way because really what he wants is like, like yes, Ken, of course you can do it. You're awesome. Yeah. You're smart. Yeah. And you've got all the tools. Instead, she goes, I don't know. Yeah. Which is, which is the show. And that's, you know, so I think he's trying to, you know, put up some sort of facade, but, you know, to be that way. But, um, and I think if anyone, Shiv is a little one, a little more going for uh, power and trying to manipulate. And she, she tries to, you know, control things. Um, Sort of more like himself. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, 
uh, which is a bit like Logan. It's not, I don't know, or at least I'm finding that he sort of has the same sort of sensibility. Logan, I don't know. I'm trying to remember episode three, but the fuck happens? Well, one of the things that is really funny about it is that it starts with Kendall doing this interview um, with a journalist, and then Roman won't let go how funny he finds this interview to be. And he keeps saying to, you know, to everyone, oh, how's your headspace? What's your headspace like? Because Kendall mentions this headspace thing. And um, then later in the episode, Shiv, um, after the whole incident with the Nirvana um, music cutting into the speech, Shiv um, tries to get Roman and Connor to, like, sign off on this letter that she's written. Right. And then another, I think another interesting moment, given that up until this, up until this part of this episode, Roman and Kendall have like not been seeing eye to eye and don't really want to be on each other's team. But then Roman's like, I'm not signing that letter. Uh, you, there's such a, such a funny line. What is it? Uh, the Times New, Times New Roman Firing Squad. Um, and Connor calls it the greeting card from hell. Um, and, and that, to me, that was interesting, too. Again, just in terms of pinning down the character. He's so slippery. You know, I can see why Shiv was like, Roman's totally going to sign this letter with me. He agrees with me that Kendall's kind of a fuck-up right now. But uh, Roman's Roman's not there for it. He's not interested. You're actually the second person I talked to today that said I can't read him. And I'm like, oh, to me, it's, I guess because I'm blank. <laughs> to me, it's just like, yeah, it's right there. It's right on his sleeve, I think. Um, no. Well, maybe that's all, but that's kind of amazing, actually. I th- I think Roman's sort of, um, he's so visceral. He's reacting in the moment. And I think maybe that's why it feels, it feels harder to read. Yeah, I mean, like, I think he, you know, actually, he, not to use the word, but he actually loves his siblings. He loves his family. Um, yeah. And the others might have that too, but they're really good at concealing it. I just don't think Roman can do that i don't think he can conceal anything he's probably the kind of guy who goes my tummy hurts like he he can't even pretend he's not feeling sick Uh, that's why like i'm like how is he hard to read and uh and the letter is kind of awful and doing something you know it's one thing to like let's get him let's get him out of the company let's let's ditch this loser let's destroy him and then Shiv makes it really personal and wants to destroy him personally. Like, well, that don't be mean. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and right. it's funny because, like, you know, Dad always saying, like, you know, he wants his whoever, his kid, whichever kid might take over to be a killer. And I'm like, Roman's a killer up to a point. I think yeah. he had all of that in him, but I don't think he could, could kill his siblings. He doesn't have it. There, there's definitely some like soft emotional core there, and that's uh, it's yeah, right, right, right for a couple of people, yeah, and you know, very interestingly, one of them is is Jerry, at least so far. Um, I think um, all of the conversations that Romans had with Logan um have been so trying to figure out what game Logan is playing, and then trying to imagine how Roman must be processing all of these like years of abuse and neglect from this guy and then spinning it into you know you're gonna be on jerry's side for the ceo thing but then also you're kind of spying on her for logan i can see it's like he's you're watching roman yourself making the decisions very much on the spot kind of being like oh which way does this flag go now (laughs) yeah no i mean in a way that just makes it sort of easier for Roman to just yeah yeah I think something that really struck me about this episode, too, was 
all of this prep for um oh then an interview an interview roman's doing and they're like oh we're gonna ask you about your dad we're gonna ask you about a memory with your dad and <laughs> you you lean forward and do like fake vomiting onto the floor you're like i don't i don't want to do that i don't want to do that <laughs> and and then you give them a memory that's actually a memory uh with connor um it's not a memory that right it's a fly fishing in montana and um, in the final moments of this episode, you tell Logan, you tell your dad, it wasn't a memory with you. We don't have good, like, we don't have good memories with each other is sort of the understanding. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, the, the, he doesn't deliver that to Logan with any sort of weight to it. I think there's always, Roman's always sort of rationalizing or just sort of justifying that kind of behavior. Like dad whacks him in the face and it's like, it's fine. Like, he got a little upset and I was next to him. That's all. Like, no big deal. Everybody stopped making a big deal of it. But really, because, you know, somebody else could turn that into something else. So the, the, the big teddy bear got angry and he smacked me. Who cares? He, he loves me. I know he loves me. So there's a great deal. Of that. Yeah, I don't think that was to try. That, that wasn't to try to make dad feel bad about that not being him. And also, um, whatever sadness Roman might have about that is very deeply buried. So, very, very deep. <laughs> I don't think he feels sad about that at all. I was like, no, it was actually, it was a nice thing I had with Connor. I just thought it would be a better story to tell. I just thought it was better than the ones I had, which is another way of saying I didn't have any. Yeah. I didn't have any, like, fun stories of you and I doing stuff. Yeah. And, and, and no one has to feel bad about that. It sort of seems to be right. Even though I, as the audience, I'm like, this is really sad. <laughs> No, it's uh it's been really interesting watching uh watching you and Brian Cox kind of like do this relationship with each other cuz for for me as the viewer I'm just filling in all these gaps about, you know, your childhood or like what I imagine this character's existence must have been. Um and I think um you know when Kendall draws everyone together for this scheme early on in the season and is like what if we all band together and we take down dad really early on, even if Roman is sort of like sympathetic towards what Kendall's going through, Roman's like, this isn't going to work. You're not going to take down dad. And like his intense, like cynicism about going against the, this man who is his dad and also like the patriarchy in a big way. Um, that kind of made me sad too. Just sort of feeling Roman really feeling locked into the, the tyranny kind of of his dad, even if he doesn't see it as tyranny very much he recognizes that power. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of just all he's known. That's, that's the one, the one truth is dad wins. Like, and right. that's always been the case. And as far as Roman's concerned, it always will be. So it's funny that I, that Roman even takes the time to consider the alternative. I, I, he does because he's smart and you, you, you have to, you have to, yeah. you have to look at it um, and, and make the wise choice. But I feel like that one's kind of an easy one. Him. it's tyranny it's funny i just don't yeah see it that way right i mean right. i probably can take an object objective look at it but as roman yeah no no because roman hero worships this guy clearly obsessed with his dad even though you know in the first episode he tells him your dad tells roman you know tells roman to suck my dick and roman's like oh wow oh wow that just happened to me <laughs> like and it's it's funny because i think roman is both like the sort of the key i don't know not to get too technical but you know i think there's a way in which he sort of turns to the audience as kind of the chorus and is like did you just hear this like did you just see this but is also completely in it and is not phased and is like oh yeah this is my dad this is dear old dad 
Yeah. Where it was like, you know, immediately after, you know, you want to suck my dick, slam the door. It's like, I'll make a joke. Uh, we got, got that, that was not heavy, guys. I know that sounds like that could have been traumatizing, <laughs> but uh, everything's fine. It's cool. It's a joke. He, he loves me. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually a fun one. That was one of the funniest moments on set, <laughs> doing like 10, 12 takes of, you want to <laughs> suck my dick? Slam. You want to suck my dick? Slam. Uh, slam the door. And each each take, I got to do a different joke. Where they had different jokes for Roman, so. <laughs> that's really that's really fun. Do you, I, I've read you extemporize a lot of Roman's um, dialogue. Well, yeah, there's a lot of, like, the camera's still rolls, so we get to play. Um, but, like, the, in, the improv stuff is more, it's not about, like, trying to get stuff in the show, because, like, the stuff that's written is what's in the show, and that's the show. For me, it's more, like, the freedom to improvise and them not use it is, like, freedom to fail and um, to, like, see what how these characters sort of interact when, like, in between scenes. It's sort of fun. But then, in moments like that, you know, we get the alt lines, the alternative lines, like, here are eight different things Roman could say after dad says, do you want to suck my dick and slam the <laughs> door in his face? Um, and then like, I'll see those and then I'll want to throw in some of my own and see what makes it or sort of mix and match, like, you know, take half written and then throw something else in it. And that's a lot of fun. And so like, actually when that moment was coming, cause that was one of my favorite moments on paper was, do you want to suck my dick? <laughs> that's just, cause I immediately, as I read it, I immediately pictured Brian's voice. Saying, <laughs> and it was just even better. His inside looking grumpy as hell because it was hot out, wearing sunglasses, saying it to me in a door slam in my face, and like watching it last night, going, "Oh, which one? Which one is Roman gonna say?" <laughs> I think the, the one one I used to like remember a few of them, but the one that was not used, which I liked, is a very simple response. Like, "You want to suck my dick?" Slams the door, and Roman just went like, "Oh." Maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, that that would that would have made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was another. I turned to ship and went. Do I? Oh, the original, <laughs> the original uh, was just. Um, you know, I often ask myself that question. I think was it. So. It's 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 a question. I mean, how edible? <laughs> um, I. <laughs> Um, I think, uh, I think the, the way that Shiv and Roman have, their relationship has changed the very end of, um, the second episode, you kind uh, Roman kind of covers for her on the phone and is like, oh, Shiv wasn't trying to go to Kendall's side. She, she was actually trying to influence him, like, you know, this whole kind of thing. And I think there's something, there's just this very interesting contrast between the language that Roman uses, which is very much like Logan's language, which is very misogynist, right? It has like, you know, whatever, whether it's it's uh, someone talking about someone's panties or someone's pussy or sucking dick or whatever. But then on the on the other hand, there's this like real affection for Shiv and like trying to, to real affection for Jerry as well, these women who are in the mix and I think there's um there's just like really interesting weird emotional tones in all of your uh in the in the conversations you have with both of those characters where sometimes it's like asserting dominance sort of in the model that your your dad your character your dad has and then sometimes this new thing this different thing that is like maybe all Roman. What what's what is that new thing like what? 
Well, I think that there's something genuinely affectionate in the way that you that Roman talks to Jerry, for example. And at some point, Shiv makes a joke about Jerry being like your like Roman's mommy, and Roman gets like really upset about it and like has to leave the room for a second. And I there's definitely like maternal affection coming from Jerry towards Roman, I think. And that's different. That's just different from what your dad like Logan brings to his relationships with women. So and with this relationship with Shiv too, I can sort of see there's like this interesting, uh, they're sort of coming together, Shiv and Roman, because they're not Kendall, they're not doing this big Kendall thing, but also they're not on the same side, they're still rivals. You can see that there's there's just like, you can see Roman moving in between all of these things and trying to figure out exactly what he wants. I guess I, I sort of, um, I guess Roman has, I would, I would think Roman sort of sees Shiv as an equal, and there's mm-hmm. no there's nobody else that he sees as an equal. Um, he doesn't see Kendall as an equal, but it's, I think he finds him threatening because he, he might be greater than or something. I think that's, that's sort of what that uncomfortable feeling is. Right, um, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I feel like Roman feels that he's better than him, but has never gotten the treatment that he's better. Kendall has always been treated or looked at as better. So there's that right. thing. I feel like the, the, dynamic with Shiv, I think it's a little bit easier for him to compete with her because it's it's it, it feels fair and even. I don't know. No, for sure. For sure. They they can they're well matched. They can they can tee off. Yeah. Um well you know what? That's all of the time that we have. But I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts about the character for this podcast. I I tried it. Sorry I don't remember as much of it. I should have watched episode three. <laughs> That's okay. You'll have plenty of chances. Uh, Thanks so much. And you are truly great on the show. So it's just an honor. Okay, well, we've reached the end of this long episode. There was a lot to talk about. Um, Sonia, what do you think we should look out for in the coming episodes? Okay, well, is Tom really going to go to jail? That, like, seems high on the list. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that affects their relationship. And then I also think like the ongoing um, manipulation from Logan, it's just hard to see how it's going to play. Um, it's hard to see what's, you know, it's hard to anticipate anything that happens with uh, with his with his games. Um, but you can see in this episode that he's really laid uh, sown some seeds in their brains. Do you do you think that the watch is going to come back to haunt us? I don't know. I mean, I I am just so like with Roman I just like I'm like what are they going to do with Greg this season you know <laughs> like the the fam the 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 family knows about this like lawyer this kind of embarrassing lawyer that his grandfather set him up with but like what what's actually going to happen with that like Greg right now is surviving bouncing back and forth between camps but like that probably can't last maybe the watch thing was something of a final straw but there's this woman now that he likes who's there and so you know I don't know I'm very curious about poor old Greg and his um time-based needs <laughs> And then I think maybe the last sort of like trailing end that this episode offered us, um, Ashley Zuckerman's character, who is uh, Shiv's old colleague from her liberal politics days, um, and they slept together in the first season. Um, and then uh, I think uh, she told Tom about it and they were sort of fine with it. Um, but now they're kind of in a different situation with Tom maybe going to jail and Shiv in a different thing. And so for her to like meet this guy um, at the at the journalism gala 
sort of indicates there could be something coming up there. But we will just have to wait and see. I think that was maybe a bit of a misread of that scene, Sonia, because I think in that scene, Ashley Zuckerman is playing noted symbologist Dr. Robert Langdon. Oh, my God. How could I have made... a crossover event from the Lost Symbol, so... That's just crazy. How could I have made that mistake? But I know that (laughs) Shiv loves moonlighting as an investigator of Vatican symbology. So I just... Exactly. I just hope that she gets a chance to do that. (laughs) Well, until next week when we can see, uh, you know, where across the world uh, Dr. Robert Langdon's adventures will take him... (laughs) Sonia, where can people find you? Um, I will do like my personal Times New Roman firing squad um, on VanityFair.com. And on social, you can find me, Sonia Soraya. Uh, And I will be attending one of the many galas celebrating journalists that I go to every week. (laughs) um, And uh, be tweeting from Ryalaz and writing at VanityFair.com. As ever, again, you can email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. And, you know, why not? I'm going to give you that... uh, Subtext information again, that's joinsubtext.com slash stillwatching, or you can text 213-652-6717 to sign up. It's free. Don't worry. Um, and you can just message us anything you think about what we just talked about or what you want us to talk about uh, in the future. Uh, as ever, this episode was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez. We are happy in our headspaces, and we hope you're happy in yours. Mm-hmm.